0: I'm Carl Christensen. I'm joined today by most of our crew. Um, we've got Cameron, uh, Tim, and Johnny all together uh, for the first time in quite a while. So, well, okay, we're missing Matt. So, uh, but Matt will be joining us again, hopefully, in a, a podcast soon so that we can continue our history series. But tonight we're going to be discussing uh, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, or, well, and a number of related things. So, um, as you can imagine, Johnny's going to be uh, insightful as far as uh, the doctor side of things. Johnny's going to tell us about uh, uh, some of the medical treatments and, and how that's diagnosed and dealt with. Um, Cameron's got insight because, Cameron, uh, you dealt with this or still? deal with this still.
1: <laughs> right. mm-hmm.
0: uh, and Tim has the uh, exposure to this that I think a lot of people have uh seen and, uh, and experienced, and that's the uh, inside the classroom, um, and so Tim's going to give us some insight on what uh, uh, strategies they uh, employ in the public schools to deal with uh, ADHD and how to help people with uh, that are struggling, uh, kids that are struggling with that. So let's dive in uh, with a little bit of a definition first, Johnny. What's, is there a difference uh, between ADD and ADHD?
2: Yeah, so most people call it ADHD, which has the hyperactivity within the title. Um, and you can actually have two different types of ADHD. You can have hyperactive um, but and impulsive type, but you can also have inattentive type. So it doesn't quite, um, it, it, I, I think ADD is probably more accurate, but everybody says ADHD. So you're not wrong by saying ADHD, even if it is inattentive type.
0: Okay, but when you diagnose, Johnny, I guess that's the next question I was going to ask you, uh, is if you diagnose it, is that something that a pediatric doctor does or is that uh, a psychiatrist or who who does the diagnosing?
2: Yeah, generally the diagnosis is done by, uh, you know, if it's in childhood by a a pediatrician, it's pretty prevalent, you know. I think I read somewhere that it's upwards of 7% of the population have ADD, so it's something that, as pediatricians, we see in the office all the time. And there's different scales and things like that that we can use to, um, to make a diagnosis, and there are certain criteria that someone has to meet in order to be diagnosed with ADD. We generally don't refer to psychiatry unless um, the standard therapies are not working or the medications get so complicated and they have comorbid uh, you know like depression anxiety things like that that are also being treated with medication where yeah. there there can be a lot of interactions with those medications those types of cases would go to the psychiatry team but for the general kid that can't sit in his seat and has add he'd just come to the regular clinic with us
0: okay and cameron it's been obviously a long time since you were diagnosed with add uh what, mm-hmm. what do you remember what that experience was like and and what uh what prompted the uh the move to get diagnosed um
3: i don't know exactly what prompted the move that would probably be a better uh, question for my parents um but i do remember that i actually went to a childhood psychologist to get the diagnosis which has probably evolved over the years now that pediatricians do it i it was still relatively new when i was diagnosed not new but newer when i was diagnosed
0: don't don't date yourself cameron you're you're young you're young at (laughs) all i i think i think it's become
2: more recognized as we yeah. get yeah uh, now than than before so
0: yeah right okay <laughs> And now, Tim. Before the podcast, we were talking briefly about uh, classroom management, uh, and we're going to touch on a lot more of this in in depth here in a minute. But I kind of wanted to get a quick overview of what the experiences are across the board here. Uh, Tim, you you've taught uh, high school and junior high. I don't think you've taught in elementary school, but uh, but by the time that you've seen kids, what is the you know? Kids have a handle on this, and, and how do how do public schools deal with kids that uh, that have been diagnosed, or, or maybe even that haven't been diagnosed, but that there, there is some indication that there's there
1: are problems. So yeah, by the time the uh, students get to secondary schools, for the most part, people, uh, the, you know, diagnoses have been in place for a while. Usually, if a kid's going to be uh, dealing with ADD or ADHD, they'll, um, you know, they're aware of it by by sixth grade and, and so when we see them, usually we will get notifications at the beginning of the year just, get, we call it an individualized educational plan, an IEP. Uh, and it's basically the school's effort to um, take care of kids and help them, you know, planning with parents and with the kids, with counselors and um, other, you know, stakeholders to, you know, try to help help the kids be successful and learn how to work with whatever challenges they have. So um, we'll get those notifications on our rosters uh, at the beginning of the year. And a lot of times, especially early in the year, we'll meet. um, We'll have meetings with parents and counselors and and students, all those people to talk about the plans. And and there's a whole um, menu of uh, interventions, we we call them that, you know, that teachers and students can use to, um, you know, obviously um, schools are not. Um, well-suited for students with ADD or ADHD, and so we have to find ways to help them cope and ways for us to cope because it can be a challenge to have, have uh, kids who are, you know, maybe distracted or, or acting in disruptive ways in the class. So we'll use things like, um, you know, moving a, a child closer to the front, um, you know, making a plan for movement, you know, a child can get up and move around, um, other plans for for things like testing if the child can take a test in a different environment, um, or you know even other interventions like you know have a test read to them, have extended time to uh, accomplish an, a task. And it basically things where looking at it as as an educator, you want to stay pragmatic. And um, you know sometimes people tend to look at someone who's struggling or who is acting out and kind of clamp down and say, you stop doing that, you know, well, and if, if they don't, then, well, you're going to fail. And, but we recognize that if you just leave it like that, it, kids are just going to fail. They're going to have a terrible experience and nothing good's going to happen from it. So, you know, we try to try to set up a, a scenario where they can be successful and, and work towards their own success. And usually kids are able to, to do that. And, they're not always going to flourish necessarily in, in a school environment, but they can they can get along and, and some do flourish. Of course. So.
0: Now, do you? I guess you're you're a teacher, not an administrator. But uh, so kids that have come to the at secondary school level, and you said they've generally been diagnosed already. Um, is this something that that goes into consideration when, like, if you have uh, multiple kids in your class that have um, ADD or uh, other learning disorders or uh, difficulties or whatever um, I'd imagine that would be very challenging did, did, did principals try to make it so that you're not overloaded because we're going to talk about this a little bit more later but the number of kids that have this is, is significant and I'd imagine having let's say 10 in a class would at some point become intractable right is that something <laughs> that, <laughs> that you've <laughs> ever
1: heard of Oh, well, this, these are questions that are constantly on the minds of teachers, administrators. Yes, um, it, it it is a matter of it depends. Johnny talked about kind of, you know, different like I, I don't know what the word would be, but different versions of, you know, ADD or ADHD. Um, there um, a, a lot of so what, what you're talking about with the challenge of having lots of kids in class would be kind of students who have. or or experience it in a disruptive way, right? Um, Not all do. I've had kids with, you know, uh, a diagnosis like that, that they're, um, you know, they may have trouble focusing, but they're not acting out or or being disruptive. So, um, those kids, you know, you have to, of course, you have to work with them where they're at, but as far as managing a classroom, that's not much of a difficulty. Um, And then you've got of course, kids who do, I, I would say, of course, if, if we were to collect all of my most disruptive students, uh, I'm, I don't doubt that there would be a higher um, um, incidence of ADD or ADHD among those students, since that can often lead to disruptive behaviors. So but uh, so so we don't just say, well, here's all our ADHD kids, we got to spread them out, Um Usually we we have some experience with these kids already, and so we can kind of look at that and say, all right, the, these kids here are quite disruptive, whether or not they have ADHD, and or ADD. And so, yeah, the um, the uh, registrar and the and the counselors are usually involved in this, and sometimes the uh, administrator. And and they will sometimes have to say, okay, we we need to keep these two kids apart because they really go off of each other. Um, but that that said. There's lots of other factors as well. You know, electives that kids are choosing to take. Um, what track of, you know, are they on an advanced math track, for example, than that, you know, or, or are they on a remedial uh, math or English or something that may limit, you know, where they're placed. So um, you, you do have some variation. I'll have some classes that are much quieter and some that are much <laughs> louder. <laughs> you also have other uh, factors as well. Usually, classes towards the end of the day tend to be a bit more difficult, especially the last class of the day. Um, I think in part because kids are just done, um, but also uh, sometimes you have medications that are wearing off. <laughs> so kids that are, um, you know, much easier to work with earlier in the day might become more difficult. My my most difficult class right now is definitely my my last class of the day. So it's just you know one of those things you try to manage the best you can. That that particular class, I <laughs> when I make my seating chart, I just seat certain kids first and I just kind of scatter them around the room, just all as far apart from each other as I can. And, and it, you know, with, uh, with that too. <laughs> yeah.
3: uh, I I would also like to point, I think some of the teachers are done by the end of the day as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not. Very true, that's not very possible if teachers ever act um, like they're students how many teachers have ADD, huh? yeah that's right if you sit in a, in a teacher training you'll be like this seems an awful lot like a junior high school class you know <laughs> teachers in the back dude, you know acting up and <laughs> ignoring the the instructions of the instructors name. awesome <laughs> So and Tim's yeah. in
2: the front row with his blinders on, just trying to stay focused, <laughs> taking notes with his. That's
1: right. right well, hand I, I handed, want an eight,
0: not left-handed. Yeah. <laughs>
1: just, hey, hey, I, I, that may yeah. be true, but Tim not. Tim is tra-
0: a, a hand <laughs> trader. I don't know if that's come up in the podcast in the past, but Tim, Tim is a, an imposter and a charlatan.
1: So, and, uh, and you guys are just <laughs> trapped in this in this black and white world of of one hand or the other. I. <laughs> I, I enjoy both of my hands and use them for all sorts of tasks. <laughs> we should do a podcast episode on that.
0: Handiness. Actually, there might be eventually a handedness episode of our podcast, but we're uh-huh. we're distracting, which is appropriate in an ADD podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to move. OK, we're going to um, we've talked a lot about class here. I know a lot of people are probably interested in kind of the, the neural neuroscience behind it or how the drug you know the medication works and that kind of stuff but before we get to that I wanted to Cameron we were talking about class and school and things like that Cameron obviously had to deal with it as a student Cameron uh, what um, what worked for you in school as far as classes go and and uh, dealing with uh, adD and and what uh, what didn't
3: um, well through a large portion of school um I was unique in my choices of how I d- dealt with certain things. Um, I would take. Um, I went on and off of Ritalin and uh, through most of my schooling because uh, Adderall hadn't been out yet. Um, when I later, I did later get uh, have Adderall in college, um, but. Uh, Definitely some of the things that Tim said were allotted to me with my IEP, um, Individual Education Plan. I believe that's what it is, right, Tim? Yeah. Okay. Um, I had time and a half on my tests. Um, I always felt like, I don't know, less of a student because I had it. It, I don't know. That was just me, like, very self-conscious about certain things. But anyway... Um, yeah, I would go to a testing center in the school, um, pull out and that significantly helped because I was isolated kind of by myself and that helped me focus a little bit better. Um, I would still obviously just with my ticks that I had would get off, like drumming my fingers, having to move a lot, little fidgets. Um, I tried to be pretty good about it throughout most of the time, but um the teacher's just new. Like he just fidgets all the time. Like right. it it sucks for even interviews that I've done. Like I if I'm at a desk, I hold my hands under my desk and I just play with my fingers and then try to just you know. It's
0: mm. Mm. right. Yeah. So that's that's the movement from, from childhood dealing with the class moving on to an adult life where you have to deal with it in a job or interviews and stuff like that. So We can certainly revisit that (laughs) later. I do think it's important what you said as far as like – I think probably a lot of – and Tim kind of indicated this as well – probably a lot of kids with ADD feel – Like they are told frequently that there's something wrong with them and or that they have uh, that they're just, you know, they're a distraction and they're all kinds of I don't know, just things that would probably make kids self-conscious and worry about their ability to achieve uh, any type of success, either in class or later in life. So I think it's important to recognize ADD, uh, be able to support it in the right way and have a good support system for the kids uh, that experience it. Up and through, through adulthood, you know, even adults that de- deal with it and and how to deal with it. So let me uh, sign
1: off on that real quick. Oh, Cameron. Oh, I was going to say, um, I did notice a difference
3: between um when I had uh, a block schedule versus uh, uh, eight periods or six periods a day, whatever it was. Um, the transitioning to, between different things kind of helped a little bit because you kind of get that movement and and that kind of helped refocus. But sometimes it also is a harder because then you have to train your brain to reignite at the new, I, I don't know, refocus at, in your new classroom. And sometimes that's difficult. Like, huh. mm-hmm. I don't know. Sometimes it takes me a good 15 minutes to f- kind of focus my head to, being able to pay attention sometimes let you know it just kind of depends what it is depending on how much you like a subject I think sometimes also affects how your ADD happens if you are less interested in a subject it definitely is harder to focus it for me for that is for me you know because everyone's different but for me I would say Sure. um, but I think that's a common thing anyway you know if you don't like a subject it's harder to focus but I think right. it's, it's just a little experience, bit experience extra. more in,
0: uh, yeah, acutely by those that generally have a harder time focusing. Anyway.
3: <laughs> yes, it's very much like there was there was classes I I definitely struggled in more, and sure, I, I feel bad for the teachers, but I had really good teachers throughout school that are always there helping me out. Um, and the other thing was um, I have to give a shout out to my parents because they would patiently work with me. And help me focus to, so I could get my homework done. So right. those you got, you got to you got to learn your child. I
0: would say, yeah, so, yeah, got to put the time in. Yeah, um, Tim, you had something you
1: wanted to say? Yeah, and, and I, I'm gonna walk a line here. Um, the, we can't the, see Cam- you anyway, Tim. It's okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Cameron was was mentioning that. Um, you know, that how how someone feels when they have ADHD in, or ADD in a classroom. And I I don't want to say that, oh, if you, you know, have ADD or ADHD, then you've got nothing to work on. Right. I, I think we all have things to work on and we have to work through our challenges. But if you if any of you listening are, are deal with ADHD or ADD or you have a kid or friend who does and if you've ever felt down about that, I I hope that you'll recognize, and this is coming from me as a teacher and as a an invested, you know, worker in the school system, the school system is not perfect and it is um, not well-suited. Uh, well, it's not a good environment for a kid with ADD or ADHD. And we need to keep that in mind when we're dealing with this. So if a kid's really struggling, if you're really struggling in a, in school, that doesn't mean that you can just quit or, or write off, and say, well, I have ADD. So it's that's that's why. So I'm just going to give up because it's not my fault. You know, you don't do that, but you don't give up um, and uh, give up on yourself because you recognize that the school system is not life. It's not the world. It has flaws and weaknesses. And, and one of its flaws is the Um, this stasis inherent in having to park a lot of kids at one spot for an extended period of time, which is not quite reflective of how the rest of the world works. So kids with ADD and ADHD, I fear going through the school system, get that implicit repeated message that I'm not I'm inferior. I'm not good at things. I'm destined for failure uh, because they don't match up well with the school system. And then you see after graduation, a lot of those problems kind of melt away. And, and as, as Cameron has has noted with his experiences, it's not like the problems go away or the challenges aren't there anymore. But one, you learn how to deal with it for the goals that you want to accomplish. And two, the world is not a classroom and you're not stuck in a seat for 60 hours or or, nine, or 60 minutes or 90 minutes at a time all the time. So anyways, take heart and um, be patient with yourself Use school as a chance to polish yourself and learn how to deal with some of those weaknesses, but recognize that school is not the world. Um, I think all of our kids need to have that in mind.
0: Do you put your students in seats for 60 hours?
1: (laughs) That seems excessive. Well, I I tried once, but there was a big dust-up and a lot of angry people, I don't know. After after 14 hours, it just fell apart. <laughs> okay, all right. Um,
0: good, good.
3: Oh, hey, uh, Tim, just out of curiosity, uh, I believe your youngest sibling um, has ADD. Would you say her experience going through... Um, international school would be do you think it was a more positive experience in an international school versus a mainstream american
1: school that is a good question you know i will have to ask her i'm curious what she would say about that my my guess would be yes for for a couple of reasons um one i i I toured the the international school that that she attended and (laughs) it was uh if you're a public school teacher, the last thing you want to do is tour a uh, a very nice international school because <laughs> they they kept their class sizes at 18, which was less than half of my largest class. There's pure um, juice coming from the drinking fountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, and and, you know, you've that's got Hawaiian these, uh, punch. Yeah. <laughs> <It> was delicious. <laughs> and, and, you know, so you've got these um, just more resources all around each, each class had a. a an aid that would help the teacher. Um, you, you tend to have a different demographic in an international private school. You know, um, kids who uh, you know don't deal with as many struggles in their um, you know of, of various sorts. And um, and so you've got easier things in various ways. I I don't doubt that my sister benefited from from that and from having teachers who were able to to you know focus and give more attention. That said, um, resources and those kinds of things aren't everything, and, and, you know, I know the school was still a challenge for her in some ways. So, um, I, yeah, that's a good question, and I have never asked her about it, so I think I will. Okay, but, um, well, there you go. But, but yeah, it, g- generally speaking, the more strapped a school and a, or student or, or teachers are for resources, the worse the experience is going to be. I, I felt absolutely terrible. When I had a a, I had a class of 40 and a class of 38 and some very difficult kids to work with. And I just, you know, it was a challenge just to keep everyone seated in the room, let alone deliver instruction and and work with kids and all their different needs. You know, when you got forty kids in a classroom, it's just not the same as when you got 18. So that's definitely a factor, I think. Um, There's all sorts of classroom dynamics there. So. I think that's probably the answer is you need to be rich and um, send your kids to a private school, live abroad maybe, and um, all your problems will be over. That solves it for the layman.
0: (laughs) You've solved it. That's That's right. right. (laughs) Okay, so before we move, so we've talked, like I said, a lot about school and how to deal with it at school levels. Um, which has been great. Uh, before we move on, I, I think a lot of people are interested in kind of the, the, the doctor aspect of it. So Johnny's going to give us some insight into diagnosis and medication and, and behavior um, as far as what, what can be dealt with at a, a clinical level. But before we do that, I'm, as I frequently do, I'm going to take us on a quick uh, tour of our uh, users. Thing I would say users. The software guy in me. Um, our listeners, we are uh, joined by a lot of people right now. I've mentioned before, I'm in California, and and I rarely mention the listeners we have in California, but California is really going strong. We have a lot of listeners in California, so uh, appreciate everyone that uh, tunes in here and tunes it's in. It's all of
2: your children, Carl.
0: <laughs> it's just my wife. <laughs> the five, it's make me feel good about myself. She's downloading it hundreds <laughs> of times. Um, no, uh, and but one place that I I don't believe I've brought up in a podcast in the past, which I think is really awesome, we have listeners in Tasmania. Um, and as a layman, as an American layman, Tasmania, I don't know anything about Tasmania, except well, what I learned from Looney Tunes. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you don't know, it's just a small island off the coast of... Oh, cool. Well, I've oh. seen it on a map, all right? I mean, and I've got some friends from Australia, but no one from Tas- Tasmania. Um, and, you know, the Tasmanian Devil in Looney Tunes, I've seen the Tasmanian Devil in real life as well. I live close to San Diego, I've been to the zoo there, They have Tasmanian Devil. It doesn't exactly look like it did in Looney Tunes. Additionally, the little whirlwind thingy doesn't... I've never seen that. Um, I don't that's, even think that's, that's- real. That's really disappointing. I'm But I <laughs> But I do appreciate people tuning in from all around the world, uh, the UK, uh, India. Um, like I said all, uh, pretty much every country, so um, that's great. We appreciate it. But now we're going to talk more about uh, diagnosis, Johnny. So we we talked at the beginning of the podcast about how diagnosis is done usually by a pediatrician. What is it? The parent brings in the uh, child. Hoping for that diagnosis, or is it something that you'd see in a normal exam that you'd say, "Hey, this looks like you might be dealing with ADD." What's that process look like?
2: Yeah, so there's two different types of parents. There's the ones that hope that their child has something terribly wrong with them, and there's the parents (laughs) that don't think anything's wrong with their child. Um, And then there's the ones that are in between, and most people are more in between. But I would say most people come in. when they are most parents will make an appointment when they're suspecting that something is wrong or when a teacher points out that they the child may have ADHD. I would say those are the main two things. So they'll usually set up an appointment for concerns for ADHD. So you already kind of know what you're getting into when you go in there. Um, But. During our well-child visits, you know, when you go see the doctor every year, when you're younger, it's like really all the time because you're getting, you know, getting all your vaccines and make sure you're growing and stuff. But once you get older, it's about once a year. Um, we always screen for developmental things, and and a lot of times, people with ADHD will have comorbid conditions. That means they have things in addition to ADHD, like some type of um, delay, like maybe their language is delayed or they're not doing well in school and so they are suspected to have some type of learning disability. And that should clue you in that there may be something going on. Um, For me, when I have a child in the office, it's pretty obvious when they make that appointment, the ones that do have the hyperactive type of ADHD they're bouncing off the walls, they can't sit still, they're taking my stethoscope, they're listening to mom, they're interrupting, they're very loud, Uh, they're all over the place in the room. And you're like, well, we don't even need to fill out these forms, like I know what the answer is. But we have to be very uh, you know, judicious and making sure we're ruling out other things that it might be. So as a physician, we always do a good um, history and, A physical exam and make sure there's nothing else uh, going on or something else that could be going on that would be um, tragic if if we missed. Like, let's say somebody's having seizures and that's why they're you know spacing off and that's not actually inattentive ADHD, but they're having seizures and they need seizure medications. You know, like that would be something that you wouldn't want to miss. Um, And there's a lot of other things that can kind of
0: yeah. does autism, like, do, do any of the uh, characteristics of autism, how how much do those overlap with ADD?
2: Yeah, so autism, yeah, so a lot of kids, you, so you can have ADD and autism um, at the same time. And um, I think a lot of autistic kids struggle with ADD, and it's harder to diagnose because, um, you know, because of the their social cues are not quite, what like a normal kid would be so they're not you know they're like people with autism can be very interruptive and so can people with ADD so that's when it gets kind of you know into the gray zone and not so much the black and white and that's when you would think about um referring to like a developmental pediatrician or a psychiatrist or um uh, you know a different type of specialist to help sort out those types of details that would be more out of the wheelhouse of your general pediatric doctor
0: do you when you diagnose then you said you fill out forms and things like that this isn't like a blood draw type of scenario though this isn't like a let's let's run the numbers to see if you have add right this is this is more um more just behavioral based right
2: yeah, exactly. So, there's certain things that you need for diagnosis, um, and it's set up in the DSM-5, which is, um, you know, your, it's basically like your psychiatric type illnesses. It ha- it says things that you must have, and then, and then it will give you the subtypes and how to be diagnosed in those different subtypes. It's, it, I'll just give you like the primary things. So, the hyperactivity or impulsivity it has to be often it has to occur in more than one setting so you know like school home at the store you know like it has to occur in more than one space it has to persist for at least six months and you need to have these things before the age of 12 and then it has to impair your function academically socially um occupationally And then it needs to be excessive for the developmental level of the child. I don't know if you've ever watched a three-year-old run around, but they all look like they have ADHD, (laughs) um, which is generally why we don't, we won't diagnose somebody with ADHD until they're at least four. And even then we're very careful because, um, because they might just be a rambunctious child um, and we don't want to start medications on a kid that might just be normal because these medications don't come without consequences. Even though they're very good at helping with ADHD, they, there's other things that come along with taking a medication um, that, you know, that can be detrimental to the child's health as well, like losing weight and appetite and, uh, you know, having insomnia, there's like a lot of different things that the medications can lead to. So you you're have sane, to be careful for sure.
3: You're saying medical speed could be adverse towards the child. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying, Cameron. <laughs> uh, ah, nice. Because
3: that's essentially what what the medication is.
2: Yeah, it's a it's an
3: amphetamine. Um, yeah. It just isn't released quite as fast. <laughs> it doesn't release quite. It releases is a little bit slower, but yeah, basically that's what it is. So I mean, and that's another thing I think you could we could touch on like, um, if your kid all of a sudden calms down a little bit after you give them some caffeinated beverage, your kid might be have some ADD or something. So.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, that's something uh, to think about for sure. If you have a very rambunctious child that you give caffeine to, and it calms them down, and then they focus, and they clean their room, and they do all their homework, and you didn't have to remind them once. Yeah, that's probably a good sign. You need to go seek out your friendly pediatrician for a diagnosis. (laughs) Nice. There were a couple things that I wanted to touch on um, for like pathogenesis. So like,
0: Making up words, How, Johnny.
2: Yeah, so um, it is a made-up word, uh, <laughs> and I just did that to see if you'd catch me. But this is this is uh, basically the the things that um, like why why do people have ADHD? You know, like is it genetic? Is it environmental? You know, all these different types of things. So um, they have done. Have you guys ever heard of a twin study or first-degree relative study?
3: Yes, I think. I'm gonna go with now so, just to
2: So basically if there's, if there are twins, um let's say they're you know um identical twins, but they were both adopted into different families at birth. Okay. So their environmental everything is completely different than the other. Um the they can test to see if different diseases have a genetic component, so if twin A gets um, high blood pressure and twin B gets high blood pressure and that happens at a very high rate, then we know that high blood pressure is more genetic um, so they so they can do this they can estimate with like first degree relatives and twin studies and these types of things, and they compiled all these stats together and they assumed that about seventy five percent of adhd is from genetic factors that we don't really know um, exactly what those factors are but 75 percent is from your parents so um and then there's other things too that will um so, can't, wait, so you you just oh, said
3: sorry. you just said gattaca was right when they did the the dna testing of the kid <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's true. That's a good movie.
3: It is um, good movie. Gatico. But anyway.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, so Sorry, that's my ADD like... kicking in. There it is, <laughs> shining up, shining <laughs> up. The second thing after genetic factors is like the neuroanatomy. So the actual structure of the brain is different in somebody that has AD, ADHD, um, and then um, catecholamine metabolism. So you've probably heard of like dopamine and epinephrine and. Um, th- those are different type of catecholamines. They send signals in your brain and throughout the rest of your body, and it appears to play a role um, through like rat models and things like that. But this hasn't really been studied very much in, in humans. But it, it does appear that those things um, contribute a lot to the ADHD, and then the environmental triggers um, will will be less so so it's like a very strong genetic predisposition with a very small uh, environmental trigger um, for those types of things you know like for example if there is some tribal child that all he does is work in a field all day um, it probably he's probably never going to be diagnosed with adhd (laughs) you know what i mean like that's not he's never in the situation where that would really affect him and the way that he's doing things so that your environmental influences and the and the place that you are and the society that you're forced to become a part of play a big role in how detrimental ADHD
0: can be to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Maybe you're going to talk about this, but one of the other questions I had is, um, so does, does adhd as you age do this do the, i mean it doesn't go away cameron still deals with it and we talked about you know but does do the symptoms become less uh, acute do i mean or is it just they learn to the the people that have adhd just learn to deal with it does, and the brain do, do some of those neural pathways get straightened out i guess does it become more along the lines of what you'd see from someone without adhd yeah so
2: as your brain develops the last part of your brain especially in boys sorry men but girls are more mature than us when they're younger but we catch up at about the age of 23. so um so the the frontal part of your brain which is involved in these complex um you know thought processes and planning and all these different types of things that are very complicated for your brain to do um it as it develops further it um it actually helps the add the adhd so kids that are like six and seven that have just outrageous terrible adhd that are on maxed out medications that can barely function are losing weight because they're on so many medications once they hit puberty interestingly Um, Generally, the dose for the medication that they're on um, becomes a lot less because they're able to think more clearly and they're able to do those things, those complex thoughts that they couldn't before. So that seems to help. That's one thing. Another thing that seems to help is that as you grow up with ADHD and Cameron can probably attest to this is you, you start to learn how your brain works and you learn ways around your ADHD. Because everyone wants to fit into society, like that is our goal. We want to be a member of society, and as you learn how your brain works, then you can help your brain to fit nicely into that society, so that you don't stick out and you don't you don't feel like you're um, you're an outcast or that you're different in some type of way. Do, have you seen that, Cameron? That you've uh, well, been able to kind of train your brain in a way
3: i i would say i've been able to train my brain i i don't think i've ever fit in society i try really hard <laughs> but there's just something about me that i just is never it fit maybe at. the height uh <laughs> yeah, I, that personality i don't know <laughs> oh man it's yes. a running joke now at work that Cameron has all the fun facts, so if you want to hear something random, just ask him and he'll tell you a fun <laughs> fact of the day. There you
2: go.
3: That nice. is, I just know a whole bunch of random stuff, so like it'll be <laughs> yeah. like ten it's bucks. Like- the Cameron knows what it is, and you tell him da da da, and then I can usually. But you know, right.
0: we have we've had instances of that on the podcast actually. I don't remember one of our very early episodes we discussed. Uh, should we eat it and how that was the name of the podcast, I believe. And we, I said something and I don't remember what the name of the, it is. It's eating paper. It's Pika. Okay. There it is. Uh, yeah, I said Pika. Does anyone know what that is? And you said, yeah, that's eating paper. I was like, I don't know who would know that generally. Um, Donnie Wood, he's a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I
2: know all about that. <laughs>
0: okay, yes, but you're not. You a eat your
2: hair. <laughs> oh
3: man. Yeah, we we actually talked about that in the podcast. But anyway, yeah, yes. let's anyway, let's okay. actually go back. That I actually I have not gone to medical school, but I did take a lot of medical classes
0: in college. Let's just say that. There I, you go. Well, you yeah. took a lot of college. Lots of different, <laughs> lots of different classes.
3: You know, some some of also us go to eight thing. years of uh, eight years of college and get a bachelor's degree <laughs> instead of a, a doctorate. But you know, whatever. <laughs>
0: uh, each, each person takes their own path. Okay, a couple questions before we wrap up here. Um, Johnny, so I'm uh, you know I'm at home. I'm, I'm sitting here. I've got a number. Well, I've got I've got a lot of kids. But let, let's take me out of the play out of the picture here. I've got my kid. And I'm thinking, this kid can't focus. You, you told us the age at which you, they can be diagnosed. But um, I, I guess if I'm a parent at home, I'm trying to calculate what's the likelihood that my kid has. Um, you know, is it more prevalent in uh, a, a specific gender? Is it uh, um, what what percentage of kids actually do have it? Uh, what, what are some of the numbers that people can be familiar with as far as that goes? yeah as far as
2: prevalence goes um the the one so i i'm pretty sure that it's more prevalent in boys but i i also um am thinking that is because they well i know that they more likely will have the hyperactive type and Mm. impulsive type so they'll be like very disruptive and things like that um, whereas the girls that have add tend to be more of the inattentive type to where they're just the sweet girl that daydreams. Like, how can you be huh. mad at her? Um, right. and, and and like Tim was saying, um, in the classroom, that type of a student isn't gonna be the one that gets the attention unless somebody's like, oh yeah, she has you know, ADHD. Um, so I think that that has some, something to do with it. But if you have like a strong, family history of ADD or ADHD, and you are suspecting that your child might have it, I would really encourage you just to see your pediatrician um, to get some testing and things that we give different, there's different types of tests that you can do for ADHD. Um, And you basically have, you know, remember it has to be in two areas. So you have mom fill out one test or dad fill out one test or mom and dad fill out a test. And then you have like a teacher or a couple teachers fill out um, these uh, questionnaires and it it's pretty obvious you know that there are quite a few questions it takes maybe 15-20 minutes to fill it out Um, but it becomes pretty obvious when a child has it when they don't Um, and then as far as treatment goes i know we've talked a lot about medications but treatment can be um, you know therapy and uh, you know different techniques to help yourself and since ADHD is more recognized now therapists are getting better at helping with thought processes and learning to cope with ADD but sometimes you can't put a child into therapy if they are not going to be able to focus on the therapy session <laughs> so sometimes it sometimes it is worthwhile to start a child on medication while you start giving them therapy. And it doesn't mean they're going to be on medications forever, but it means that maybe as they learn more about ADD and how to cope with it, they need that extra support to help their brain focus for the time being until later on, Uh, and then maybe they could come off of it. A lot of kids that were on medications for ADD as children... Um, and tend to kind of, a lot of them don't really need it as adults as they get into their careers and they're able to do things. Some do, and some people do get diagnosed with ADD as adults. Generally, these people had ADD as a child that went undiagnosed because they're very very, um, gifted people and they don't have to focus on something for very long to learn it, and they test well and all those things. But then later on in life, they end up, you know, getting into like very difficult college classes or even like people make it all the way through college and will get diagnosed in graduate school and doctorate school, you know, which is kind of crazy. But there's there are these really smart people that have never really needed to focus on something for very long. And now that they're having to focus for a long period of time. On one thing they can't do that and they get diagnosed later but generally there were the signs earlier on but it just didn't go diagnosed or wasn't really a priority to get it diagnosed because they were functioning
0: normally in society right at that time so one one question I guess one last question uh, well maybe one of them anyway uh, the uh, I'm counting <laughs> yeah, I, I've got a certain number. Otherwise, you're gonna start charging me an hourly rate. I think. But um, the no,
2: I, I got I got you on the timer. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, this is already okay. a level four, and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, we don't have the funds to pay you, Johnny. Sorry. Uh,
2: <laughs>
0: we have made a whopping uh, twenty dollar bill on this uh, podcast so far. So um, no. Uh, the it, it seems like society in general has become less able to focus, right? You know, from be it just the 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 Facebook generation, the always on a screen, jumping from here to there, all those types of things. Um, are we getting more people with ADD, or does the definition the definition of ADD that you supplied earlier essentially says it's causing problems? In, in how you're interacting with society. So, if society in general is less focused, maybe as a person with ADD, you are just fitting society better?
2: <laughs> yeah, I and mean, that's a good thing to think about. And I honestly haven't done too much research in this, but a lot of developmental pediatricians um, believe that there is a link between excessive screen time as a child and the development of ADD later. So um so how do I if you're letting your kids watch TV, like that's fine. Like that's not going to hurt right. them. But um our recommendations as pediatricians are no screen time until the age of two and then after the age of two um two hours of screen time max per day. And and I I'm talking about the kids that are basically just have an iPad in front of them all day every day like these kids are getting so much stimulation that it's going to be really hard for them to focus when it comes to everyday things and if they have that genetic predisposition to the ADD and then their brain is being you know fired at that type of a rate and um, and you know that this is normal to be you know going from uh, I, Just think about like TikTok videos, okay? This is a great example. It's like 15 seconds and then another video that's 15 seconds and another video that's 15 seconds. Like that is not the same um, for your brain as like if you forced a child to sit down and practice the piano for 30 minutes. Like it is not creating the same type of connections and the same types of things for, for your child. So screen time can be detrimental. And to be honest, your kids don't need it. And I know as a parent, like, sometimes it's nice to...
0: (laughs) Right, sometimes the parents need it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sometimes the parents need it. You know, Netflix is a really good babysitter sometimes. So, (laughs) you know, you just turn on Netflix and you can go do something else and get some stuff done. But that shouldn't be the default. Um, If you want your kids to be a really high-functioning person in society, and especially if there's that propensity for ADHD, then trying to steer your kids away from screen time and towards something that takes creativity and using those parts of their brain that are actually going to help them develop and become, you know a higher functioning member of society. I just encourage people to do that. But yeah, I would say screen time and like all this, you know these flashy, you know, exciting things that are changing all the time, I'm sure it's not helping people that have that propensity to to have ADHD stay away from it, if you know what right. I mean. Yep,
0: yep. Mm-hmm. Do um, you like
2: TikTok, Cameron?
0: Uh, I do. I do like TikTok. Movies are a little long for Cameron, but, you know.
3: <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I think all of us can attest to that I would zone out in a movie and just go really deep into it. Are oh, the TikToks um, too long for you, Cameron? No TikToks are not too long. It's TikToks <laughs> are different. Like it, like I can literally tell you, like it makes my ADD worse. I can tell you that. Literally,
2: it does. Because no, it's just this. Like if you if you watch it for like thirty minutes, then after that, it's really hard to focus.
3: Oh yeah. Well, it's more like I focus on TikTok for like an hour, and I am like, where the heck did this hour go? And then it's really hard to refocus but it's oh, yeah interesting. It's, it, it gets really hard um but well, I we can have just, our
2: we yeah. have our n of one
3: <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> um, that's really hard but that's i'm fun. just like thinking like we watched a, a fair bit of tv as kids but i'd also like i know that i like to go outside more a lot of the times than watching tv too like i enjoyed playing video games and stuff like that but i also just loved going outside playing outside so that probably helped me later. Right. Later
0: on. Yep. So. And and I guess one thing to say, and maybe Cameron, you can also say something, just encourage people that are either parents or uh, interacting with someone with ADD or someone that has ADD. You know, it's uh, sometimes it's hard because you don't, if you haven't been diagnosed yet, you don't want to have something wrong with you. You don't maybe you don't want to go on a medication or whatever else. Um, but the reality is, you're just trying to find a way to deal with this. this the situation that you have, right? Um, be it uh, something that has been environmentally set off, like Johnny said, um, because you were disp- uh, disposed to it, or if you've just had a childhood where you were uh, just in front of a screen for a long time, you, you got to find a way forward. And so that's what laymen are really good at is finding a workable, pragmatic solution. And the doctor can help with that. And like Cameron attested, you know that there are there are things that you can do. So the more that you're able to figure out what situation you're in as opposed to denial (laughs) uh the better you can uh kind of find solutions that'll help yeah and
2: you you see people with add in all different types of um of uh jobs and things like i know several doctors that have very severe add and still have to take medications otherwise like they can't get any of their work done so just because you have ADD it doesn't make you less of a person it doesn't make you less smart or anything like that it it, it just means that there's barriers to overcome and everybody has barriers in their life and th- this one I'll, I'll just I'll be honest it really sucks but that barrier is getting easier to overcome with all the therapies and things that we can do to to help somebody along
0: Yep. yeah Cameron, any final words of encouragement and or insight into uh, ADD? Um, no, uh, just
3: kind of, well, I mean, a little bit. To kind of go with what Johnny was saying earlier, I I don't know if you, uh, just distinctly as a child, I did not like reading at all. Like, I hated reading. Probably because it took that focusing that I was not very good at to read. Um, but I enjoyed Having books read to me as a child. Like, I remember that because our parents would do that um, growing up, which was great. Um, and now I, I love audiobooks. I, I listen to audiobooks constantly. Um, even while I'm working, I listen to audiobooks. Maybe I shouldn't, but I do. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: it's okay. Your manager doesn't listen to this, Camlin. We're good. Oh, wait. Do
3: you like this? uh as far as i know they
0: don't okay we're good.
3: uh but anyways but yeah no i they know i do like i'm i don't yeah, know right, what right. i'm doing i'm just like oh i am listening to that and like how do you work and listen to an audiobook i'm like well it's like
2: you know listening
3: to music right right it's it harder to li-
2: you, it probably helps you focus because you're, you're you're giving your brain that stimulation that it needs to stay focused you know? yeah i mean it's it's harder to do work
3: if it's a new book that I haven't listened to, but if it's books that – because I, I like to re-listen to books that I've enjoyed. If it's something like that, I can just put it on and just listen and just work, and then it's like music. And or, or I'll be like, oh, that's a really good part, and then listen for a little bit, and then go back to work and kind of put it in my back background. So
0: Great. OK, well, so there there are strategies and there are things you can do. And um, I guess uh, at this point, so we're nearing an hour. So if you're still listening, you probably don't have ADD uh, <laughs> or you've tuned us out. So. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Or you're
2: also listening to an audio book and this at the same time. <laughs>
3: I would also suggest, uh, like Johnny said, be really honest with your doctor what the medication's doing stuff like that. If it's not helping, maybe you need something else, stuff like that. Um, I know when I was older, after I got put on Adderall, it did weird things to me. So, like, um, my heart would race super bad. Like, it would hit, and I could literally feel my heart racing. Um, also, I got really bad depression when I was on Adderall, which was – I don't think it's a common side effect, but it is a side effect. But, you know, there's definitely things you should always be in a conversation with your doctor when you're doing that. Or if you have a child, make sure you're in good conversation with your children so you know what they're experiencing so you can make sure that they're okay. I would say that.
2: Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of options now. So just being honest um, is the best thing to do um, so that that your doctor
0: can yeah. help you with where, where you're at. Yeah. Perfect. I think that's a great way to end. So I appreciate the insights from Cameron and Johnny and Tim, and we will be back next podcast. We're going to be resuming our history series here shortly. I think the next podcast will probably be a history podcast. Uh, not a great one for people with ADD potentially, but um <laughs> It is insightful, and those of you that are following that series, I think we've got a number of people, uh, a large listener base that, that that have been enjoying those podcasts, so j- come and uh, join us back for that. They're, follow us on Spotify. Um, we have a lot of listeners on Spotify. We have very few on uh, iTunes. I think that's because every time Matt's on, he tries to offend them. Um, Matt's not <laughs> on right now, so let's... <laughs> Just tell your friends that use iTunes that we're, we don't hate them, and we'd love to have them follow our podcast along with all the people on Spotify and uh, Amazon and Google, all those other places. But uh, review us, whatever else, um, and hopefully if you need uh, if you want us to discuss something, some uh, questions for Johnny or Cameron or myself, uh, hit us up on uh, our, our website. Um, that's learnfromalayman.podbean.com, and we will be back again next episode. Thanks. Or Facebook. Facebook.